0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ishwarya, your host for this episode.
1: And I'm Aryan.
0: I know this is a crime podcast meant to give you bad dreams and distract you from your work, but a very Merry Christmas and a hauntingly Happy New Year to all you crazy Desi listeners. This year has been a jetpack joyride for us only because of the immense support all of you have shown us for so long.
1: And in the spirit of the holidays, we request you that if you have any money to spare, do consider helping out your favourite, the Desi Crime Podcast, by becoming a patron on Patreon for as little as $2 or around 150 rupees. In return, we will give you some blockbuster extra episodes monthly, early access, private Facebook, Q&As, video calls and so much more. The link is in the description.
0: The case we have for you today is of a successful, driven and happy couple who were doing their best, their very best, to raise their son and live their life to the fullest until one day their lives and the lives of everyone who knew them were turned upside down. This is the story of one of Bangladesh's most infamous crimes. This is the story of Sagar Sarovar and Mehrun Rooney.
1: This is our first ever case from Bangladesh and we are so excited. Our listeners from Bangladesh have been absolutely phenomenal. They've given us suggestions, sent us screenshots of crimes they know of and have been overall incredibly supportive as we try to find a case from this area. This episode is for all of you Bangladeshi fans.
0: Absolutely. In fact, all of our listeners are incredibly patient with us as we try to figure out the best way to produce this podcast. As we start the beginning of a new year, we hope to reach bigger milestones with this podcast and with all of you as well. Before I start this episode, I want to thank the Daily Star, a leading newspaper based in Bangladesh whose reporting on this case is our primary source of information. This episode wouldn't have been possible without their work.
1: Okay, Aishwarya, now tell us, what happened in Bangladesh? Who is this couple and what are their stories?
0: This story starts in 2012 in Dhaka, the modern and metropolitan capital of Bangladesh. In fact, the city resembles Delhi in the way that it's structured and built because Dhaka was also a prominent Mughal capital in the 17th century and the centre of Muslim trade in Bengal. In this city, 8 years ago, lived the happy and well-to-do family of Sagar Sarovar who at the time was 37 years old. Mehrun Rooney, who was 35 years old, and their 5 year old son, the apple of their eye, Mahir Sarwar Meg, who they lovingly called Meg. Both Sagar and Mehrun are an incredibly hard working and successful couple, with both holding prominent positions within the media and journalistic circles of Dhaka. While Sagar was born in Dhaka, he had left Bangladesh in 2007 to work in Germany with Deutsche Wells, which is even today a large international broadcaster. However, he returns by 2011 and begins work with Masranga Television, the prominent news channel in Bangladesh. Other than his job with this news channel, Sagar is also a blogger and writes for a journalism website called Oh My News, He founded and leads the Forum for Energy Reporters Bangladesh, and he's the editor-in-chief of the online magazine Energy Bangla. But if you're thinking Sagar's resume is impressive, guys, (laughs) his wife is no less. Mehrun is a senior reporter for the well-known news channel ATN Bangla, writes extensively on energy issues of Bangladesh in a host of online magazines, and is also a crime reporter.
1: Damn, she would have made a perfect Desi crime crew member. But in all seriousness, both of them are the quintessential power couple, the successful career. But what's more important is raising a child with two highly successful working parents. That's always a travesty, if I should say so.
0: Exactly. Everyone who knew the couple described them as incredible at what they did but also as a couple whose world revolved around their son. Little Meg, who was born in 2007, had just completed their family and made it perfect. 2012 is just another normal year for the family, and February the 10th, just another normal day. The husband and wife wake up in their fourth floor apartment situated in West Raja Bazaar, get ready for office, get their son ready for school, and leave the house. They spend their busy day working in their respective news channels and by 2pm that afternoon, Mehrun returns to her house. She spends the rest of her day in her house, completing some work and preparing dinner for her family, waiting for all of them to return. Logs of the building register from that day tell us that at around 4.52, a gentleman named Tofiq went to Sagar and Mehrun's apartment to visit them. However, there exists no record of him leaving. At around 7.30 that evening, Meg returns from a school picnic he had gone on in the morning and spends the rest of the evening with his mother in the house. Sometime that evening, Mehrun gets a call from Sagar who tells her that there's an unusually large amount of work piled up in his office and he may not be able to come home for dinner on time. He tells her not to wait up for him and to go to sleep instead and that he'd come back around midnight once his work is complete. After this point, there are very few things that we know for sure. We know for sure that there were guests over at the couple's residence that night that stayed for dinner. This apparently was a normal occurrence and a lot of colleagues and friends would visit the couple on weekends. However, there are no records of who the guests were in the visitors' log of the building. No records of guests entering, no records of them leaving. We know someone was over for dinner because the couple's son will later tell the cops so and the neighbours would have heard sounds of people talking at around dinner time.
1: Then doesn't that explain the Tofi guy who was in the logbooks? Because I know for one, in India at least, our apartment buildings, not, you know, uh, slam the guards, but the time and all of that is usually quite hodgepodge you just enter anytime just that your boss wouldn't scold you so could that explain it
0: um so it may or may not be Taufik that stayed back for dinner there's only one single article in all of the articles about this case that mention this Taufik person so either this article is completely wrong or this Taufik gentleman was not the person mm-hmm. who stayed for dinner and simply left after meeting Mehrun and thus is of no great importance to the case which is why no article mentions gotcha. him Anyway, so there's people over for dinner, but we don't know who they are and we don't know how long they are there for. After a long night of sitting on the gate of the apartment, the duties of the guards change and a new guard, whose name is Palash, arrives at the gate at 10pm that night to monitor the building. It's Palash who notices an office car stop in front of the building at 2am in the night. From this car exists Sagar, who's only now returning from his long day at his office. Sagar enters his name in the log of the building and makes his way to his house just like he would have done on many nights in the past, not knowing that this night was different. After this, at around 5am, Noorun Nobi, the president of the building committee, calls Palash, the guard, and tells him that he can hear moaning sounds coming from one of the houses in the building and asks him to check and see what was going on. In a later statement Palash says quote, "I went out of the building and I also heard the sounds of crying coming from a flat upstairs." End quote. He could not ascertain though which flat it was coming from. Quote, "I informed Nurun Nobi about the matter just before the azan for first prayers at about 5 a.m." End quote. At around 7 a.m that morning, 2 hours after the azan prayer and the morning sounds are heard coming from the building, Noorun Neher Mirza, Mehrun's mother, receives a call from Rooney's mobile phone. Thinking it's her daughter on the other line, she picks up. But it's not her daughter. It's her grandson Meg. The words that leave 5-year-old Meg's mouth on this phone call with his grandmother will change everyone's lives forever. Mummy and Papa have died says the innocent voice on the other side, and Mehrun's mother falls silent. Upon hearing this, she rushes to reach the apartment in which lay the dead bodies of her daughter and son-in-law. She rings the bell and the door is opened by a distraught and inconsolable Meg who takes his grandmother to his parents' room. The room has blood spattered all over the walls, sheets and the floor, And two bodies lay on the ground with multiple wounds and with a knife still inside Sagar's chest. Sagar's hands and legs have also been tied with a bed sheet and he seems significantly more injured than Mehrun. The house also looks ransacked with all their belongings scattered across but nothing is stolen from them. Their money, their jewellery, their electronics are all found inside the house. All that was missing, and this is an incredibly peculiar yet important detail, was Sagar's laptop and his personal mobile phone. The door of the house doesn't seem to be broken into. It becomes clear very quickly that the couple knew their murderer or the murderers and perhaps even let them into the house on that fateful night. When the cops arrive, they find a grill in the kitchen window to be cut out by pliers but very quickly rule that out as a point of entry because it was too small for an adult human to fit into. On the crime scene, there arrive two sets of investigative teams. By 11am that morning arrived the first one being the Bangladesh police from the Tejgaon Thana under whose jurisdiction the crime fell and second arrived the intelligence branch of the Rapid Action Battalion which is an elite anti-crime department that arrived on the crime scene because of the high-profile nature of the murder. According to the Crime Reporters Association of Bangladesh, the two teams were working on the case independently of each other. In fact, news of the murder spread so fast and became a matter of such high national importance that important politicians, journalists and inspectors arrived at the crime scene the entire day after the murder a fact that would later be heavily criticised. At the crime scene, the teams meet the parents of both Sagar and Mehrun and they also find Meg who is lost and crying but not fully comprehending how his life has completely changed in the matter of a few hours. Naushad Alam Rajon, the eldest brother of Mehrun, told the Daily Star quote, initially Meg was telling stories such as Two people were at their flat Friday night and ate rice with eggs. Meg also told us that he had seen those very two people at a picnic he had attended later that day. Later, Meg became calm and quiet, but we're incredibly worried for him because he has thrown up a few times now. End quote. After Meg gives the investigators this piece of information, they take it incredibly seriously. They reached out to the school to find out who was allowed to attend the school picnic. Meg had gone for that morning, but according to the school, only parents of the students and the student themselves went for the picnic with a few teachers.
1: Which is pretty typical of any school trip, right?
0: Yep, for sure. The investigator sifted through all the photographs of the picnic to see whether or not there was someone who looked suspicious and could be a possible suspect for the murder. However, this lead went nowhere and the investigators chalked it up to Meg being incredibly traumatised and mixing up his memory, but they still continue to hold on to him telling them that there were two people over for dinner that night. The family did not let the Daily Star interview or speak with Meg after the murder, but they let them take a picture of him. To see this picture taken just one day after the murder and more pictures from the case, go over to our Instagram and Twitter at Desi Crime. According to the Daily Star, observing the kitchen from which the grill had been removed, it seemed like somebody boiled a pack of noodles at night as an empty noodle packet and a salt sachet were lying on the kitchen floor. Also, there were two pots half full of water on the gas burner while an egg had been left untouched near the burner. The newspaper says it's not clear what Meg saw when the crimes took place. But those who spoke to him in the morning say the kids saw in the house some persons with firearms in their hands, scuffling with his father. After arriving at the crime scene, the teams worked swiftly to take the bodies outside the house. The autopsies of the two bodies took place at the Dhaka Medical College morgue around 1pm And while the crime scene gave hints to the brutality of the murder, the autopsy revealed many harrowing details. The killer stabbed Sagar 28 times, 6 in his chest, 2 in the abdomen, 3 in his throat, 15 in his back and 1 in his thigh. According to the Daily Star, a small knife was found jammed in the right side of his chest. Almost the whole of the blade was stuck in his body. This stab penetrated Sagar's lungs deeply, according to the morgue sources, who added that the knife did not have its handle. They noted that all the stabs in Sagar's body were very much straight and some of the stabs penetrated his lungs and liver. The stabs in the throat partially cut open his oesophagus, the passage down which food moves between the throat and the stomach, but his left artery, which supplies blood to the brain, remained intact. The star also said that Sagar's hands were tied at the back with the bedsheet, as were his legs. The Morg sources suspect that three different types of knives were used in the attack on Sagar because the width of all of these knives and all of the wounds on Sagar's body varied from between two and a half inches to about one inch. The killers made two close stabs in Mehrun's abdomen. They also stabbed her under her eyebrow, said the Morg sources. Suhail Mahmud, lecturer of the Forensics Department of Dhaka Medical College, conducted these autopsies. He told reporters that it appeared to him that the killers were, quote, unprofessional. He said, if the killers were professional, they would not have made so many stabs, end quote.
1: I get that explanation and I understand why it might be unprofessionals doing it. But from our research at the Desi Crime Podcast and cases we've covered in the past… Uh, Whenever the element of passion is involved in a crime, you tend to see that personal vendetta reflected in the crime itself. So the example of Yvonne Johnson, another case we've covered, where the girl was brutally murdered purely because the killer knew her. So could it be that the killers knew the couple and therefore were sort of avenging some sort of personal vendetta which led to the multiple wounds?
0: Maybe that, Aran. Maybe you're absolutely right. But a number of the family members and co-workers have come forward to say that they knew of absolutely no enemies that the couple had that would have led to a murder of this nature. In the middle of all of this, Meg being left alive is also incredibly interesting. Did the murderers take pity on him because of his age? Or was it never in their plan to kill him?
1: That's one thing that stood out to me. I don't understand why... Yep. Uh, That that kind of goes with the unprofessional theory because, Mm -hmm. like, professional killers, no matter how much vendetta is there, would not want to leave any witness. Right. So, maybe this could be unprofessional killers who actually had that empathy to whatever extent they could.
0: Exactly. For sure. What we do know, however, is that neither of the bodies were found to be sexually assaulted. And it Mm -hmm. appeared that the murderers showed a lot more leniency in killing Mehrun as opposed to the brutality with which they killed Sagar. Also, there was no viscera test conducted during the autopsy, which was later criticized very heavily by the public.
1: For our listeners, a viscera report is prepared to determine the cause of death under suspicious circumstances where autopsies are unconvincing, like in this case because there was so much damage. In these tests, the internal organs of the body are tested thoroughly.
0: Finally, Sagar and Mehrun were laid to eternal rest at the Azimpur graveyard, a graveyard for the Muslim population of the predominantly Muslim dhaka. The very morning of the murder, Home Minister Sahara Khatun, who also visited the scene of the crime by the way, announced to catch the killers of the couple within exactly 48 hours. Two days was all she thought it would take, And common wisdom might suggest that to be correct. They were famous and if they had enemies, that information would come to the surface eventually and rather quickly. The crime scene also had hordes of evidence in it and DNA testing was bound to give good results. There was a child alive and well in the house when the murder took place and he remembers a fight between his father and another man and also remembers two people being over there for dinner. Slowly, But surely, his memory will bring that night back to him and he'll provide invaluable information to the cops, right? Sahara Khatun was wrong. This February marked 8 years to the murder and we're close to the 9-year anniversary of that fateful night. However, even today, Bangladesh and the world awaits for the murderers of the couple who still roam the streets freely to be brought to trial.
1: Let alone 48 hours, it's been 8 years.
0: It has been 8 years. <laughs> over these 8 years, the two teams working on the case have changed investigating officers, redone the investigation, reanalyzed DNA and asked for court extensions time and time again. In fact, the Rapid Action Battalion has taken over 40 extensions for trials from the court but have failed to submit the report they needed to produce. However, in these 8 years, since the murder… There was no shortage of theories, suspects, and possible answers to the question, what happened on the morning of February 11th 2012? The first, and probably one of the most important theories, is that Sagar and Mehroon were killed in an attempt to stifle freedom of expression and freedom of speech. People who believe this theory feel that the government and officials related to them got the couple killed because of the couple's high-profile and sensitive work related to Bangladesh's energy production and transactions. Reporters that have worked with the couple have claimed they know of the possible articles that the couple were working on that caused their deaths. These reporters claim that for Mehrun, it was her reporting on the corruption in Bangladesh's energy industry and for Sagar, it was his workings on violence and minority rights within Bangladesh. And you know, people who believe this theory might actually have good reason to. According to an article by UCA News, Bangladesh, like a lot of other lesser developed countries, has catalogued a long list of cases involving abuses and episodes of violence against journalists in recent decades. The article said, quote, In some cases, the reporters were killed and the murderers never found. In others, a culture of impunity seems to have prevailed. The nation now ranks as the 10th deadliest place in the world for journalists to work, according to an index released by the Committee to Protect Journalists. Journalists and editors in Bangladesh, they say, live with the constant threat of abuse and violence, as well as the specter of being sued for simply trying to report the truth. End quote. In fact, all family members of Sagar and Mehrun have expressed concern over how lightly the police and the government officials have investigated this case. Rooney's brother, 36-year-old Naushaavir Roman, says, quote, It puzzles us why the government has not been more proactive in terms of getting to the bottom of this case. Maybe the killers are being protected by very powerful or influential people, or maybe our law enforcement agencies are not competent enough to handle such murder cases. According to UCA News, Noshir believes the couple was killed because of their investigative journalistic work, which may have annoyed or threatened to expose the wrongdoings of certain powerful groups. They didn't have any personal grievances with anyone, so I have to assume this was related to their jobs, as the killer didn't take anything of value from their apartment except Sagar's laptop and phone. It seemed to be very well planned. End quote.
1: That theory makes a lot of sense to me. I, that theory, me I too. think, is something most listeners thought of initially because remember mm-hmm. the phone and the laptop were the two things that were stolen. Yep. So it makes it makes complete sense that they were trying to take something from them, which is probably a story they were working on.
0: I agree, but while this theory makes sense to us, Aran, it also doesn't make sense to many. Of course. <laughs> Who did they manage to piss off so badly <laughs> right. with their energy writings that they were killed so insensitively? They had reported on sensitive matters for very long, so what pushed someone to kill them now? The second most prevalent theory is that of an extramarital affair turned foul. Mehfuzar Rahman, the chairman of ATN Bangla where Rooney worked, made a public statement on the case while he was in London. He claimed he was certain that the couple had died because of an affair Mehrun was having. But not just that, he claimed that he has videos relating to the death of the couple that night too. His remarks caused widespread outrage among the journalists of Bangladesh who believed he was just trying to taint the image of the now-dead victims. Out of anger and agitation, the journalists of Bangladesh demanded that Rehman be arrested for his comments. I
1: don't like that. See, you (laughs) can't be both for free speech and then want somebody to be arrested when you don't like their exercise of free speech.
0: And that's the problem with advocating for free speech, Aran. that if you want it for yourself, you'll also have to stand up for the rights of those who you vehemently disagree with. And that's a very tough pill to swallow for most people. But just to be sure, Rehman is no less. Upon seeing the agitation against him increase and build up over time, he files charges against the journalists protesting against him to have them arrested. But it was a case he eventually lost and nothing came of the affair angle in this case after that ever again. Over what is now more than eight years later, the motive of this crime is still lost and perhaps is one of the most important keys in solving this murder. But the cops in this investigation, mind you, have claimed that they know for certain what the motive of the crime is, but they've chosen to keep it a secret from the masses for this long. What?
1: Can they? Like, can they legally do that?
0: I think they can, (laughs) (laughs) but it doesn't reflect best for them. Yeah. From the two teams that investigated this crime, we have a series of suspects that they believe could have killed Sagar and Mehrun that night. In fact, it wasn't an ordinary list of suspects. It was a list of seven suspects. The first is a man named Rafiq Islam, an alleged robber who the cops thought killed the couple with an accomplice named Bakul Mia, who's also a robber.
1: But nothing was stolen from the place, so that kind of doesn't make sense.
0: It wasn't, I agree other people on this list were robbers mintu payada and mohammed Saeed. mehroon's friend tanveer rahman a driver named kamrul hassan arun security guard Humayu, and security guard palash rudra paul were also on this list
1: isn't the name palash rudra paul the same security guard who was on duty that the guy who heard them crying
0: yep it's the same security yeah. guard He became a suspect when the cops realised that the murderers entered the building and left the building, but Mm. the guard had absolutely no idea. The guard also heard of the couple's moaning sounds the morning of their murder, but didn't do anything about it. In a weird turn of events, right before the cops arrested Pallashrudrapal, he disappeared for a very long time. When he was finally caught much later, after his arrest, His parents disappeared and haven't been found ever since. However, all of these suspects seem less like plausible murderers and more like people the cops have tried to fit in into their own narrative. There's absolutely no physical evidence linking any of these men to the crime scene. The motive for these men to commit this crime remains unclear and most importantly, the cops chose most of the men on this list simply because they were suspects in another prominent murder in Bangladesh. The brutal killing of Dr. Narayan Chandra Datta an assistant professor who might have been a victim of robbery, but relatives suspect it was a planned murder. Now, Aran, do you know how Dr. Narayan died?
1: Of course, I don't, Ashwarya.
0: While his wife was out of town, two people entered his house between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m., <laughs> and stabbed him multiple times. His mother, who was on the ground floor of the house that night, heard his moans and helped to rush him and took him to the hospital, where he died instantly.
1: It's like somebody copy-pasted the murder.
0: It is. He died under circumstances eerily similar to those of Sagar and mehroon making it one of the reasons cops chose to interrogate the same suspects for the murder of mehroon and Sagar too. However, despite this high number of suspects, none of them have led anywhere in so long. The developments in the case reached a plateau, progress slowed, and the country forgot of that fateful day. Until March of 2020, when DNA reports from the crime scene were sent to FBI in the US where they were finally analysed and the results came out.
1: Something would happen in 2020, I guess.
0: It did. The report stated that the couple were likely killed by two men on account of the unidentified DNA of two men found in the crime scene, specifically in the nails of Sagar and Mehrun, indicating some kind of struggle. But you guys, 2020 is over. And the one-year anniversary of the DNA results and the ninth anniversary of the crime is just around the corner. But justice seems far away. None of this is getting easier for the family that awaits a final conclusion to the investigation. Quote, Justice will be served one day, but perhaps I will not be able to see it in my lifetime. End quote. Said Saliha Munir, Sagar's mother, in an interview a while back. Being able to get justice in cases like these requires a shift in a culture of our countries. We need to move to a space where the media... The backbone of any democratic society is protected, and where freedom of speech and expression are the norm, where the cops work to bring us justice, and where our government is held accountable for its crimes, too. But for Sagar Sarovar, Mehrun Rooney, Meg, and their entire family, it's already too late. <laughs>